Why Nickers? Bernard pulls the trigger. And this is a brand. Nickers is a brand. Allen Houston. Nickers means Lord. Once a neck, always a neck. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Nickish Show. This is episode number 32. Uh, we are here on this Sunday afternoon. What's today's day? September 20th. Tonight is the Lakers and Nuggets game two, so that's really where we stand right now. I'm here with my my boy Nafi. What's going on, bro? How we doing? Not much, bro. Easy Sunday afternoon, you know? First taste of fall officially today here, out here in the D.C. area. Mm-hmm. It was a little chilly. I don't know about New York, but... I'm wearing a hoodie right now. Chill. I'm in here in a crew neck sweater inside. You know what I mean? So, yeah. kind of pissed that, like, literally this pandemic stole a summer just yeah. like that. But, hey, otherwise, you know, happy, happy to be here. We got our health, as they say. You know you wash when people ask you how you doing. You say, oh, I got my health. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to ask but, that man how else he's doing. <laughs> how you doing bro i'm all right i mean you know like you said pandemic still going on hopefully everyone's wearing a mask and yo real talk if you thought it was bad right now imagine how it's gonna be when it gets dark at five o'clock and people are out there wearing masks and hoodies <laughs> with everything <laughs> that's going on in the world it's gonna it's gonna get bad in in a month or so god forbid but i mean can you imagine i mean bro i mean we, we want to go down a depressing mm. route. Let's get dark. I mean, rest in peace to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, obviously. The icon. But, um, yeah, I mean, but despite that, you know, well wishes to her family, thoughts, and prayers. But, yo, we are, we are big fucked. We are big fucked. You know, those of us that are even slightly politically aware know, know the ramifications of her untimely passing. But, yeah, I don't want to get too dark. Going on a political rant. We are a basketball podcast, but. Shit is going to get real, real scary, son. Like, yeah. Scary hours this fall. That's what I'm predicting. For sure. I mean, with the election only two months away, and if Trump has his way and is able to select his own justice, something that he was really trying to block Obama from doing in 2016, Ugh. he's going to choose somebody who's going to be in the interest of the Republicans and the conservatives and their party and go with, you know, basically have anything that they want done, get done. Say goodbye to basic civil liberties and, you know, yeah, freedom over your own body, ladies. Like, that's depressing as that is to say, but... Yeah. Fuck, fuck Mitch McConnell, by the way. Little fucking... fucking turtle-ass motherfucker. Snapping turtle-ass-looking motherfucker, I'm telling you, bro. Like, 2016, he's like, oh, Obama, he can't get a, he can't get a judge in because, like, he's he's gonna leave office, but hypocritically four years later they're trying to squeeze a fucking one of trump's judges in but yeah i mean not uh, not to get you know too political like we said you know but um going off that theme of uh hypocritical and uh whiny figures in power you catch lebron's little post-game uh mvp wine rant yeah, I mean, you see in his reports <laughs> after after Giannis was announced as the most valuable player, which a lot of people thought was going to be the case for the, the whole season. It's not; it shouldn't be a surprise. But you see headline after headline: Magic Johnson shocked, Trace McGrady shocked, 
Jalen Rose, <laughs> shocked. Sam Mitchell, shocked. It's like, it's it's not a shocker. I mean, no no doubt about it. Giannis Giannis really flopped in the playoffs this this uh, in the first series. Um, mm-hmm. And you know it it's one thing you know for for that to happen, but it's it's the most valuable player of the regular season. Not to defend Giannis and his poor play in the postseason, but I don't think it's cool for LeBron James when he's asked about it to not even congratulate Giannis and just to mm. talk about how he got 16 out of 101 votes. Like, sure. I mean, let your fans speak for you. You shouldn't be the one to be saying it so publicly that you're upset, that you're pissed off, uh, according to LeBron. That's that's how he felt. He's, and he didn't even name Giannis. He's like, yeah, the, the winner, not saying that the winner didn't deserve it, but I'm pissed off that I only got 16 first-place votes. Like, it doesn't work that way. You won MVPs without winning the championship either. Um and it's like you're at this you're at the point right now that you've been the, the greatest player since Jordan and you know you can't be the guy who's being petty about it you want to con- the you want to be professional about it congratulate Giannis and say all that you're focused on is the championship cuz you're still in the running to get that championship to get that fourth ring so i don't know Son, what is it about Giannis winning the MVP that gets these dudes so tight? It was the uh, same shit last year when fucking Harden went on the radio or whatever the fuck after Giannis won. And he's just like, he's trying to play it cool, but he's like, if you could be a, like a subtly laid back, cool, like whiny bitch, that's exactly what Harden was last year. You know what I mean? Like he tried to play it off like he didn't care, but at the same time he was tight. Yeah. And now we fast forward, it's LeBron. Like, come on, bro. It's And these people that are like the clutch mafia got their hands on. Like, Magic literally was employed by the Lakers like six months ago. You know what I mean? So he's he's contractually probably probably obligated to just big up LeBron. But these other dudes, especially Perkins and shit, it's just like, it's recency bias. But it's also just like, yo, y'all are like just shameless. You know what I mean? Because these same folks, I know for a fact, or I know for a fact, they don't really see Harden as fondly. You know what I mean? And they wasn't going to bat for him last year. And then... Just because it's LeBron, and I get it, like, to your point, he's LeBron James. Like, he'd been, like, destined for stardom and became and fulfilled his legacy as soon as he came into the league, you know what I mean? And he's been in the conversation as MVP every year. And as a great player, you're supposed to have that internal belief. But, like, yo, I don't think it's too much to just say that, like, yo, he's being too whiny. And, like, just just be humble. At least give congrats to Giannis first, you know what I mean? But... I don't know. It's recency bias. Like it's let's it's not, not forget it's a regular season award. You yeah. know what I mean? And Giannis blew away LeBron in all numbers. He was the best player on the best team. And Charles Barkley of all people was on inside the NBA saying the same same shit for 35 years now since he's been MVP. It's been the same criteria. Usually you've got to be in one of the top three teams in the league, and you got to be in that conversation as best player and or top three in the league in that season. That's what Giannis was. He checked all the boxes. So. And it's not like it was a robbery either, bro. It was a tight race. It was, you know what I mean? Like, maybe he's salty that his, the votes weren't closer, but it just seemed like he was salty, period. He didn't win r- running away. So, and that's that's my thoughts on that, bro. It's just LeBron being LeBron. Good dude, but you, these it's are not, when you see his warts. You it's know not I mean? even like, the first time that he's gone on a little bit of a rant by not winning anything. He he went on a rant when Marcus All won def- Defensive Player of the Year way back oh, when. Man. He went on a rant when D Rose won MVP back in 2011. It's like, it's unnecessary and it kind of taints your legacy just a little bit if you're gonna be whiny and petty like that. But I mean, let let your game do the talking, win win the championship, and then make that comment that you know maybe the votes weren't as accurate as they should have been. But you know, don't 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 put down Giannis like that because he. 
he was the best player on the best team in the NBA stats wise, regular season wins wise. Yes, they didn't they didn't make in the playoffs, and, you know, for whatever reason. But I mean, I don't even think LeBron led all the stat lines on his team. Anthony Davis led most of them. Exactly, so, bro. That's like, what these LeBron like sycophants don't even fucking acknowledge. Like that's the thing they don't get. It's like Giannis is by far the best player on a team on his team, which had the best record, while LeBron. Wasn't the best player, wasn't on the best team in his own conference, and he had another superstar player with him. You know what I mean? Like, that plays into it. It's the same reason that, like, LeBron and Kobe both kind not LeBron and Kobe, uh, Shaq and Kobe both kind of canceled each other out at their mm-hmm. peak. Between the two of them during that Laker, dom- like, Laker dominance, that three-peat era, there was only one MVP between the two of them. You know what I mean? That's, it's historically, that's how it works. Like, if you have a superstar, like, teammate, it cancels out your candidacy. It's like why KD and Steph didn't win a regular season MVP either of those years they were together. It's why, like, it's why D Wade like canceled out LeBron's MVP candidacy in 2010 when D Rose won it. You know what I mean? That's revisionist history too. If we're going on this whole MVP rant, because it wasn't LeBron that D Rose won it over. Dwight was the other guy that year. Like, it was between Dwight and D Rose. People trying to have this revisionist history, but like Dwight was more diver- deserving of MVP back then. It's just like, this is what the Clutch Mafia does. That's why, like, obviously Trump is a horrible human being. And, like, LeBron <laughs> himself would probably choke me out with his hands if I made that comparison. But it's like, you yeah, see it, I like, mean, in the sports version of, like, yo, they take the narrative and try to supersede the actual facts of what's going on. His supporters, like, these people, like, his fans on Twitter were just going crazy. It's like, yo, is he your actual dad? Like, does he send monthly payments, keeps food on the table for you? Why are you getting so emotional? I mean, he is a clutch mafia's dad in that in that regard. But I I don't know. Oh, if, yeah. I don't know if that <laughs> that comparison really holds too true. I mean, obviously, characteristic wise, LeBron James. Head I'm shoulders, just saying on a broad truck. brush, just how the media and like the media narratives yeah. get played. Like last week, we were talking about like the athletic article saying like, oh, LeBron has a lot on his plate just with what's what's going on in the whole world. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody got the same thing going. Everything that's going on in the world is affecting these players the same. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, obviously, some more than others, but it's not like I don't know. It's 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 that's just to me exhibit A of multiple exhibits of what we've seen through years now about what these LeBron people, these folks that you know are clearly LeBron side, they're gonna try to just taint or not taint, just like shift the narrative to that the most pro LeBron way possible. You know, and it is what it is. Like, yo. LeBron, you in a good spot right now. Like yeah. this is, I think it's a good way to segue into the Denver series. But yo, well, the, actually, while while you're on the media narrative, real quick, mm-hmm. you got to watch our social dilemma. I know I recommended it to you before. It's oh, yeah, one yeah, of yeah. the top uh, documentary movies on Netflix right now. That shit is mind blowing. It's it's not even the least bit surprising either on how much shit, how the narrative just changes so much depending on what you're viewing on social media and how what you're viewing isn't even on your own accord. It's it's Facebook and these social media giants having just every bit of control to make you the product because all they're trying to do is make a dollar off you, but they're shifting the narrative so much and you don't at this point you don't even know what's real anymore, what's fake anymore. Especially a year like twenty twenty when there's there's so much shit going on every month. You watch it for those of you guys you know listening right now the biggest takeaway if you can get any is to watch our social dilemma it's like an hour and a half and it's it's mind-blowing it's it was an amazing breakdown by people who used to work at facebook people who used to work at google like top top guys 
um, and they really break down what's what really is going on and how it just it might not be the safest thing right now to to have social media and the impact the true worldwide impact that that they lead and the divide between people right now in this country and around the world is so is so significantly large right now and god only god knows what what can happen in the future right now when so many people have their ideologies separated and it's all with narrative-based creative creations with fake news everywhere on both oh sides whether it's progressive side conservative side whatever moderates too like bro civil war two <laughs> that could be that could be legitimate with the, with the direction that these giants have i i deactivated my facebook right away after watching my shit been deactivated bro yeah. i just like legit the only reason i reactivated like real quick recently is because i forgot one of my like uh cousin's birthdays and i felt really <laughs> bad you know what i mean that was the only thing that, that was the only benefit yeah. for years now that facebook was offering me but otherwise yeah i've been on that deactivated wave but I'm assuming in this documentary they got a good section, good meaty section about uh, Clutch Mafia sending cash deposits, direct deposits to prominent <laughs> social media accounts, right? To tweet some bullshit? Oh, uh, no? yeah, for sure. Nah. <laughs> uh, as, as a sequel. Sequel, okay. Got you. Feel you. But yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll check that out. No doubt. Sounds like some crazy shit. Yeah. Um, Back to the topic at hand. Uh, <laughs> the Nuggets um, versus the Lakers, yep. Yeah, thoughts, thoughts on that game one? I don't know if you had a chance to see or... If- From what we know... Right, it doesn't really matter if the Nuggets lose Game One, Game Two, or even Game Three at this point, because or may- maybe not Game Three. But what we know is historic. This is a historically resilient team, one of the best resilient teams of all time. First two series, they're down three and one, and they still came off with the with the W in Game Seven. That is unprecedented, and we still we still shit on the, the Thunder for for losing it that way. We still we still shit on the the Warriors for doing it in the finals against the Cavs back in 2016 but the nuggets were able to do it against the jazz and the nuggets were able to do it against um the clippers you know so the fact that they lost game one you know it doesn't it doesn't, you can't you can't speak to it being an automatic w for the lakers holistically in 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 this series you have to you can't rule out the nuggets at this point that's that's so much as what we learned this year from these nuggets jamal murray is on another level right now in sure. in, the, in a bubble like the bubble has really heighten this man's abilities in basketball he he shoot he i don't know what got into him he got like the playoff bubble like voodoo in him and Jokic is on is on another level that man is dangerous because he doesn't give a fuck i think that's psychopath shit bro real psychopath hours with that boy the (laughs) and that's and that's like it's it's crazy to think that like this is gonna be a really weird connection but that's what made the Joker so dangerous because he just didn't give a fuck. He just wanted Come to do his now. own shit. It's a very <laughs> I weird. see what you did there, bro. The uh, Joker, but, but, and no, his but, nickname is. Oh, wow! Did you? Yeah. Did yeah. you make that connection yourself? <laughs> <laughs> but Jokic. No, no, yeah. He, he's the, a fucking agent of chaos. That's what yeah, Jokic like, is. I feel that. Jokic and his just his whole mentality of just not giving a fuck, but being so good that he's dangerous. It just makes him all the more scary as an opponent for the Lakers and you know we saw the matchups it didn't work towards the Nuggets favor they didn't play that well and they lost I mean I don't remember the score right now but I think it was like 127 116 I uh, got it somewhere yeah. 117 106 no sorry that, that was that was Miami Boston um 126 114 Lakers won yeah. game one we'll have to see how it goes tonight game two but 
I can't rule the Nuggets out. I think it's still it can still very much go either way between the Nuggets and Lakers. But I think when it comes to the final, I mean, series altogether, I think I still got to go with the Lakers winning it. I can't rule against LeBron. Yeah. Good points. I mean, interestingly enough, like I saw it, it's wild. I think this goes back to the whole like LeBron propaganda that's getting, that's getting like just uh, widespread or has been getting widespread but i saw people just literally writing eulogies for the denver nuggets like oh shit they lost in game one and yeah. it's funny you mentioned the game one narrative of how like the nuggets prove game one don't mean shit to them it's their feel out game right they'll lose game one and then they'll just make that comeback you know what i mean but then that's another thing that these lebron fans have been saying it's just like game one is typically lebron's feel out game you know what i mean historically he loses in conference finals in game one you know what i mean and then he comes back after he t- uses that game one as like like a like a thought experiment you know he wants to see what the other team is doing and then he'll make his internal adjust adjustments and then you know we've seen it historically they'll just run off a, cu- a couple of games and sweep or take over the series at the conference finals so i mean that's an interesting aspect to it all it's just like the two opposing narratives you know like is Lebr- game one is historically is lebron's pitfall you know what i mean it's his feel out <laughs> game but we know for a fact now based on recent com like uh happenings that uh denver treats game one as their feel out game you know and watching this game i uh, i saw the good bit of like they it was close until like the lakers really just pulled away you know what i mean and dwight was a game changer you could tell he had fresh legs just because mm-hmm. he didn't really play much because of the matchup in houston and like we were saying in the last pod just like when this wasn't even a real matchup yet it was still like down to game seven between denver and uh clippers um that the size advantage that the denver enjoyed i think la their big guys are like would be chomping at the bit to get back in there and dwight was a game changer and i think that was when you know and then rondo himself like playoff rondo like Mm. say what you will i've been thinking he was he was washed but apparently playoff rondo is still a thing and he's been whipping it out of the bag just recently you know and yeah it's crazy how it works because regardless of like physically how wash he might be he's still hall of fame level iq and anytime lebron's not on the court la is guaranteed to have like a hall of fame level passer or iq out there you know what i mean and i think that's what people kind of undersold and rondo's even making threes now like for, it's been like a decade plus of me just being shocked of him like throwing up that garbage with his broke mm-hmm. form like wide open not even anybody even on him 20 like 20 feet off of him in the paint and it it shocks me every time he makes it but he's making it more often now and it's crazy like i don't know lebron like say what you will we just went on a whole like rant about him but he is a good locker room influence and presence you know what i mean like he gets guys to play to their best and maximize themselves so i think prediction wise if we kind of round back to that what you were saying i still go with la as well probably la in six but I do think it's going to get interesting. I think Denver's not going to go away quietly. Um, and to your point, this guy Jokic, man. Like, I saw a lot of basketball writers say, you can't rattle a dude that comes from Serbia or fucking Eastern Europe. The shit they seen and the shit they, their fucking <laughs> yeah. bloodline has been through. Yeah, I'm, I don't know in, enough about that region, but I've no hearsay you know like it's it's scary out there it was scary out there just recently and these dudes just coming out there you know i mean just came out there fresh so the (laughs) you know that reminded rattled by a game of basketball that (laughs) that shit just reminded me of uh you remember you remember that brooklyn Nets player teletovich forgot his first name oh mirza mirza Mirza? teletovich this motherfucker like he grew up in the mean streets of like albania or some or one of those countries 
Oh, um, man. He like, watched, he, like, watched his dad die or some shit, or, like, he killed a man, or I, I don't know what, but... He, <laughs> how the that fuck man was he playing? He, how did he, he get his visa? He could not, <laughs> <laughs> you could not rattle him, so that that shit holds true. Uh, these like like one of my one of my best friends from uh like the Yugoslavia like the Slavic regions in Montenegro like they're they've been through war in their <laughs> like last fucking three decades they've been they've seen some shit so the the writer saying that you can't rattle a man with with a last name that ends with an itch kind of thing. That's so very legit. factual. Very factual. So true. Don't don't think it's bullshit. That this narrative. Is, that narrative. True. <laughs> this shit is like playing a pick up game. Pick up game in the driveway to them. You know what I mean? They're not scared. You know what I mean? That's why Jokic. Like we joke. He's crazy, but nah. Ice in his veins. All those cliches, bro. That's what Jokic is. Like, yeah. And I am ready to write him off. And Murray. The, the kind of hot streak he bought on the bubble, he relatively had a bad game, but you look at the numbers, it was highly efficient still. Like, yeah. he was making, like, he had shit in his bag. I didn't realize. He was making, like, turnaround fadeaways in the mid-range. You know what I mean? Like, quote-unquote bad shots, but I didn't know he had it in his bag. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, he's really becoming a well-rounded, like, scoring force. And oh, yeah. all it takes is, like, you know, you know Jokic and Murray will de- deliver. Um, but it's just like a dude like Michael Porter Jr., as much, much as we clowned him. Like, if he goes off certain nights, that'll be huge. Paul Millsap need to get her together because he just looked under. He just looked like a bad matchup for the big big guys that LA got, bro. Like, yeah. he just looked hyper washed. I think this is a series where they're not, they're gonna need to kind of lessen his merit minutes. You know, like I'm thinking, if they if they want to like go old school, just go double big, Jokic and Plumlee. You know, like he, people forget about the Plum Dog. Millsap <laughs> need to step up big time. He's gonna be a free agent. You know, unrestricted after the season. This might be his his best shot out making it to the NBA Finals. He's been in the league for a long time, and yeah, he's yeah. he's had a good career, but this might be his best shot at really making it to the Finals and, you know, being a big part of it. So I bet you he's very fed up with LeBron and the Clutch Mafia. He just can't yeah. stop seeing this man in the conference finals. Yeah. He's getting sunned left and right. Like, <laughs> this is his one chance to rewrite that history because, like, yeah. he's probably getting PTSD from his Atlanta Hawks days, bro. Just LeBron just sending him home, like, little boying him. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. 60 wins, going in with the chest puffed out against LeBron, get swept. Whew, better better hope that shit don't happen now. At least they got Jokic. Jokic is not Al Horford. I can mm-hmm. tell you that much. Yeah. And Mike Malone is not bu- Coach Bud either, you know. Mike Malone, Mike Malone ain't scared of shit either. He's from New York. Don't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what about this other series? The other uh, game three se- wrapped yeah. up last night. I was, I mean, interesting enough. Well, what are your thoughts on what's going on with the Boston Miami? Have you had a chance to watch or yeah, I mean, pay attention to any of the storylines? Yeah, I mean, Boston's now down 2-1 two, two, against Miami. I think Miami had a great first two games. And this last night's game, uh, Boston led, you know, beginning to end. And one of the one of the points I made in our previous episodes, I want to say like two episodes ago, was to watch Gordon Hayward's return. He was oh, expected yeah. to come back in game three, and I figured if Boston wasn't playing as strong as they were and Gordon Hayward comes back – He's he's not going to be their best player, but he's going to be a momentum builder. He's going to be someone Super to like bring them piece. bring them yeah. back up. So he only has six points, but he also had five rebounds and four assists. And the fact that he came back from another injury that that holds true to their team chemistry and just hyping them up to to play better. And you know, one one point I want to make from this series is Jalen Brown. I think mm. we we like to say that Jason Tatum is their best player, which 100% is. But I think Jalen Brown can be considered as the leader of that team because he knows how to talk, like he knows how to 
really it's either him or Marcus Smart, bro. I think Marcus Smart yeah. is like the heart and soul leader. I think cause... I think on the court, Marcus Smart is the leader. Jason Tatum is their best player, but I think off the court, Jalen Brown is can might be able like you know it, I wouldn't be surprised if people consider him to be like the vocal leader of the team because he. I mean. Yeah, not, not to interject, but I think that's that's Marcus Smart though. Like from all accounts, like he's the guy like is that's off the court. He's the guy that even checks the stars. You know what I mean? Like I, I have no doubt Jalen Brown, a super intelligent dude. He's he's got the kind of intelligence that like you know is just being wasted in basketball. You know what I mean? Like I'll say that pretty comfortably about Jalen Brown. He's twenty three years old and the shit he's been involved in and been yeah. saying and things like that. But I think. You're not to really kind of step over your point, but Marcus Smart is that dude for Boston. You know what I mean? And I love that dude. Like, I hate the fact that I love a Boston player so much, but Marcus Smart, bro. Like, he's that player that we hope Frank might be able to turn out into. But I don't think I don't think Frank, like on the court wise, I don't think Frank has the ability off the court to be that vocal leader that mm-hmm. Marcus Smart is. But I think you know back you know back to Jalen Brown. I think I I was underrating him prior, um, mm-hmm. or sorry, or maybe yeah, I think I was underrating because I I thought his capability as a player was mediocre i thought he was okay he dropped 26 points but he's the one who's taking on the post post game interviews and just saying the right things about the locker room issues that that the that the nba mm-hmm. media decided to create you know they lost game two and then you started to see quotes like locker room meltdown or <laughs> locker room emotional outbursts as if that's not going to happen as if players aren't going to discuss there was a there was a there's a headline brad stevens hold meeting in locker room with players after game two loss like no shit that's the man's <laughs> job like adrian wojnarowski and all these guys on espn just creating this narrative and i don't want to be you know uh, new yorker shouldn't be supporting boston in this way but like you guys can't be creating narratives to make headlines and increase ratings of potential emotional outbursts for a team that's been playing objectively so well, you know, all season long. I we gotta give credit to the Celtics. Jalen Brown, twenty six points. Jason Tatum, twenty five, fourteen and eight. God damn. And you know, <laughs> Marcus Smart, I I, him, I don't have how much Marcus Smart scored, but he was a pivotal player in this game. You know, you you don't you don't he need numbers. Is, you you don't need like numbers to a longtime Boston writer who said, like, as, uh, as Marcus Smart goes, is how Boston goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. If he's feeling well and he's, like, really contributing in all facets as he's known to, Boston almost always, like, has a good outcome, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did you, you yeah, want no, to continue the, your point? Or no, the one final thing here? that I noticed was that I don't know if there's anything wrong with Jimmy Butler last game, that the last few plays he wasn't on the court. And I haven't really mm. seen any injury listings or anything like that. And Andre Godalo wasn't was also not on the court those last few possessions uh, when when the Heat might have had a chance to come back. but I think that was just Spolstra. He's a, I, love, I love his coaching chops. I think that, that was just him like, you know what? You guys get your rest. We're up 2-0. We, we could afford to lose this game. It's like Spolstra's been there before. He's all those playoff battles into the finals. You know what I mean? He knows that it's a chess game. He's playing the long game. So, yeah, there might have been a chance where they could have rallied back probably taking that 3-0 commanding lead, but Spolster's like, nah, let me get my guy Iggy, who's old, you know, them them creaky-ass knees, let me get him some rest. Jimmy, he's a fucking warrior, he's a dog, he's out there playing 100% every single minute, you know what I mean? So, like, might as well give him that rest, so I think that was his thinking behind that. But, yo, I, I echo the same shit you, uh, you've you been saying, especially about, like, these media members, bro, just straight up clutching their pearls over just just teams arguing you know what I mean like yo they're down 2-0 would you want them to be mute happy go lucky you know what I mean like I'm hearing like it was like a big twitter just like marathon all these reporters just live tweeting it like oh 
Marcus Smart heard yelling, throwing shit in the locker room. You know what I mean? Like, he's the emotional Marcus leader. Marcus Smart hit Jalen Brown with a steel chair behind his back. Like, they was making it seem like it was a TLC match yeah, going on bro. in there. You know what I mean? Like, threw A for the tag team title at fucking <laughs> WrestleMania. Like, get the fuck out of here. It's just like, it's it, like, Draymond just encapsulated my whole thinking about that situation on Inside the NBA. He was just like, yo, these great teams that are playing for actually, like, actually playing for championships, actually have something on the line, that actually have something invested in the season. Damn right, emotions are going to come through. And, it, like, a locker room is not like at your regular workplace. It's not like, you know, your cube, cubicle at work. You know what I mean? Like... It's a lot of, like, fucking emotions and, like, intensity going on in the game. Obviously, it's going to carry over to the locker room. It's not like they sh- they're robots that shut off and go straight into their, like, civilian mode once they yeah. get into the mm-hmm. locker room. Nah, like, they brothers in arms, quote-unquote, figuratively. You know what I mean? So, like, emotions are going to fly. And Draymond's like, that's how you know they care. That's how you know they're playing for something important. And that's how you know they're family. Because these other teams, like, he's, Draymond continued. He was like, these lottery teams, these losing teams, I could bet you they're not having these heated discussions in the locker room. You know what I mean? They're going in there apathetic. They lost. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it, it, it was just dumb, bro. Like, just, I hate Boston, but that was just one of those storylines. You got to call a spade a spade. You know what I mean? It's disgusting that New Yorkers are going so hard for any kind of Boston defense. But, dog, come on now. Like, <laughs> that was just disgusting. Because I'm thinking if it was the Knicks, like, could you, like, I'm pretty sure we heard the same shit when we were, like, no, I think, good with Melo. I, I think that's why we feel so close to the story, because that shit happens to us all the time. Yo, because it's like, remember when we were, like, a playoff team with Melo? There would be those situations, too, in the locker room. Melo's upset with somebody, yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. Like, bro, we're playing for something. You know what I mean? Like, teams that play for something have something at stake. Yeah, emotions are going to fly. Like, that's part of the game. Like, Draymond himself, like, he's the perfect example himself. Like, Steph and Clay, they're the best players on the team. They're the face, they're the Splash Brothers, but Draymond's a heart and soul, and that's what Marcus Smart is. You know, like that's the comparison I made for Marcus Smart. Mad times, like when he was like growing as a player, I was like, he's like a little mini sized version of Draymond. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right down to the personality and leadership chops. So it's just dumb, and I do echo your your kind of points about Jalen, bro. Like, um, I didn't see him coming in the 2016 draft when uh, Boston took him. It was kind of a surprise. It was a widespread surprise. Obviously, he played at what University of California, Berkeley. Not mm-hmm. like those games was out here on the East Coast that often. So I don't know who he was. He was like a raw wing. And to see what he's become. He was he was like, taken at what, three? Yeah, he was the third yeah. pick of 2016. A lot of people were like, oh, Dragon Bender should have went there. You know what I mean? So pff, where is he now? He's probably playing in Russia or some shit. Jalen is like looking like, yeah. ironically enough, he's looking at the dude that I thought he could become. He's looking like a little like Jimmy Butler. You know what I mean? That was a comparison for Jalen Brown when he was just a prospect. And now he's really filling into just kind of – that dude all the wing that gives you that elite defense that can like really be a complimentary piece to your main scorer, which obviously in this case is Tatum. So fuck Boston, especially because it's out of pure jealousy, bro. They got the t- they got that elite wing yeah. du- duo. You know what I mean? They're like what respectively twenty three and twenty two years old, something <sighs> like that. That shit ain't right, bro. <laughs> like that shit ain't fair. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think. Another underrated storyline that we didn't really touch on in any of our pods, like, yeah, the Gordon Hayward return. Like like you said, he's not really the all-star that he was, but he's, like, he fills in, he fills a gap in that Boston team that what it was missing is they needed, their whole ecosystem is just, like, versatility up and down the court. Everybody is, as lo- everybody on that team that's on the court knows that knows how to dribble, shoot, and pass. You know what I mean? It's versatility. And Hayward can do all that at a high level. And you fit him in. You're playing with Jalen. You're playing with Tatum. You're playing with Smart. 
and Daniel Tice, who needs to get a shout-out as well for really just becoming a perfect backup big um, or even just a starting big in a pinch, you know. So that kind of versatility that Boston has, Hayward fits like a glove, and I'm not surprised to see that in his return he helped, you know, turn the tide in the series. Not that I'm thinking Boston is going to make a rally and come back. I'm, I don't know if I had an official prediction, but I'm thinking I'm going to go. I, I went with Miami in like seven, I think. and I th- Or if not previously, I think I'm going to go with that. What about you? It's three games in a series, but, you know. I think uh, I, I, I want to see what happens to Jimmy. I mean, mm-hmm. if, he's, if we assume that he's fully healthy and so is Iggy, I think Boston might come away with it. I think the players on even that still, team. Even if they're healthy, you're saying? Even if they're healthy. I think I think what Miami's doing is that they might be outperforming right now, and mm. they did it the last two seasons. They they got heart. They got, you know, they got great players on that team, but at this point, you know, a lot of their guys are young. Um, but Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, they're young, but they're experienced, and they're hungry. Cool. Not to say that, the, that Miami isn't, but I, th- I think it's going to be a hard-fought series but I think I think Boston's I think Boston's gonna come away with that. I think we're seeing Jay, we're gonna we're seeing Jason Tatum entering a whole new level of being a superstar. And I think last night's game where he scored twenty five, fourteen and eight, that's those aren't numbers to just, you know, scoff at or just just think it's normal. Those aren't regular numbers, dude. Those are numbers of a superstar. And if he exactly. averages that for a season, this man could be in the M V P conversation next season, easily. So I think I think this is a big test for Jason Tatum, and I think last night he he came away strong. I think if he keeps it up and Jalen Brown keeps up his level of production, Marcus Smart is Marcus Smart, and he's and Marcus Smart is even better than he was in previous years because he's a, he's a decent shooter now. He's improving, bro. Yeah. Like I saw somebody make a really crazy comparison. It was like a Boston Rider thing. He's like the Marcus Smart like evolution. It it's it's par- it parallels how Kyle Lowry just progressively turned himself into like what he is now. You know what I yeah. mean? Like. Like, nobody expected defensive-oriented backup guard Kyle Lowry to become, like, starting point guard, damn near most important player on a championship contender. You know what I mean? Like, I think Smart is becoming that as well. Like, yeah. He's a, he's a two-way he's a two way potential dynamo. all-star, yeah. dude. I, I never thought I'd, I'd say Marcus Smart might be an all-star, but he could very well be an all-star uh, if at, at this rate. Like, defense, he's a defensive superstar if, there's, if there were such a thing. And I, I think, definitely think so. Yeah, I think I think Brad I think Brad Stevens the way he's been coaching has been strong. And I think the first two games they did go two and zero. I think I think if Boston is able to win the next game, it's it's a series. I think I think Boston's going to take it. I think next game obviously is just as important, but I think Boston's going to be they're too good to not think they're going to come away with. It. I think it will go to game seven, but I think Boston I think Boston got it. So we got we got a difference there. I think an interesting thing, though, like, since you mentioned Stevens, like, coaching-wise, I think what kind of, um, obviously, Hayward coming back helps, but I think what kind of, like, really confounded Boston, just looking, just following along with the series, is, like, Spolster used a little bit of the zone, and it kind of, like, play, like fucked with Brad Stevens' like, lineups and shit, you know what I mean? Like, it kind of, like, they didn't have an answer for it. So it's interesting to see if, like, Miami goes that route again. I don't know how often they played the zone in last night's game, but... Yeah, I think that's something that will kind of play into it. It's like a chess match, you know? Like, these are mm-hmm. high-level coaches going on. And unlike Coach Bud, like, they have a track record of, like, postseason adjustments, you know? Yeah. So, especially Spolstra. So, yeah, I mean, I'll stick with Miami in seven just because it's the easy answer. You know, they're 2-1 two on, two on right now. They're in the driver's seat. And um, them as an organization, um, I know, I think I sent you that piece that Zach Lowe sent 
um, just about like what Miami did in the last couple of years to really rebuild themselves into what they are now. And like just reading about the org, just like the mentality that's shared from like Pat Riley down to just like the ball boys. They're a ruthless organization, you know what I mean? Like, in terms of just, like, win- winning at all costs. Like, okay, we just gave these contracts to these guys. Okay, they're bad contracts now. We'll do whatever the fuck it takes to get get rid of them. You know what I mean? Like, they're creative in cap gymnastics. They're creative coaching-wise. And their players themselves are just, like, gritty motherfucking, de- like, just determined dudes, you know? Like, Jimmy said the same shit, I think, in midseason. He's just like, I love this team just because from top to bottom, they're all like me. You know what I mean? They're, they're dogs. And I just... Yo, this is Bam! A- I didn't, I didn't think he'd yeah. become this skilled so fast, but I love, yeah. I love how he plays, bro. He's really just that new age big. Like if it's wishful thinking, but if Mitch could even show a little bit of that level of passing, like maybe Tibbs can make him, make Mitch into kind of a a, a weak copycat of how Noah and could pass from the elbows. That'll be fire. I think, but yeah, I think Bam this is, is a, crazy. I think this is a perfect segue since you mentioned the structure of the Miami Heat organization to pivot towards the Knicks. And the organization that we want to see the next couple of years. And this year's draft falls in line with that. Chris Paul, I think, is a big part of that. Whether or not oh, yeah. we sign him, I think I think the mindset of it is an important part. And it, it'll lead us to know what, what direction this organization wants to go towards. Free agency next year is a big part of it. And next year's draft is a big part of it. So, Sounds like you're a Chris Paul convert, bro. Let's, in a matter of a week. I oh my god, dude! You, you know, you know me. I I think the number of times you I'm, on the fence, I, I, <laughs> swinging I'm both literally legs, both ways. I'm, that's, I'm that's pretty how, much. How I know you. I'm pretty much on the fence, and I think when it comes to Chris Paul, like people aren't thinking of how important it can be, and I think the direction that the Knicks want to go with Chris Paul, like I mentioned, is very important. So, <clears throat> what what it, direction do you mean? Like, if you want to elaborate, yeah. Like, so. The way that teams build, a lot of people looked at Philly, including myself, thinking that it was the right approach because of the, the recent success that Philly had prior to this season when they had Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and they had Jimmy Butler on the team, and we thought this was a great setup, and they made it to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals and lost to Toronto in that Game 7, buzzer beater by Kawhi Leonard. <clears throat> I think, you know, look, in hindsight, it isn't the best approach because it does build that losing culture, and... Right now, the Knicks have had that losing culture for the better part of the better part of a decade now. So now you start to wonder what is the right approach, and that's that's where the Knicks are right now. They basically like broke out the whole system and they're re-implementing items. So starting with the front office, everything was from scratch minus Scott Perry, and the coaching staff all from scratch. Now with Tom Thibodeau and a plethora of high-level coaches who can focus on development on the young players, young players which we didn't have. Now, yeah. I think Chris Paul is very important in this as a potential player on the team because we have to think of the fact that Chris Paul is 35 years old, and I think he understands that his window for a title opportunity is closing. And a lot of a, a lot of it matters on what Chris Paul sees his future be. And I think with all the connections we've seen him build with uh, as being a president of the NBA Players Association. He has his own basketball academy. So he and he's been the point god for the last, better part of almost, you know, decade and a half right now. We we know he's seen high level players in the past. He knows all the top players now and he has players in the future that he's going to be well connected with. And when it comes to the New York Knicks, I know you and I agree on this that net, that connections and the network 
right now trumps all. And that's why we have Leon Rose. That's why we have World Wide West. And we have a lot of the top executives with Walt Perrin and all those guys on the team right now. Chris Paul might be the most connected, active NBA player right now, aside from maybe LeBron James. And I think this this is definitely not you know a present-day kind of thing, but I'm looking more outwards towards the future. You, met, you, you made a really good point last episode when you talked about Chris Paul's salary issues and the fact that he has he's owed $44 million the next two seasons. If Chris Paul might be willing to break out that, le- that latter season into a number of seasons, which he very much might be willing to do because his agent at the end of the day is Leon Rose. They have a very, very close relationship, as you mentioned, exactly. and CAA. If he's willing to do that and the Knicks, particularly Leon Rose, is able to work out something where – He'll get more money on top of it for a number of years, and they might be able to promise an outlook of deep playoff run in two in two seasons, three seasons, and then a job maybe for Chris Paul as a potential executive on the Knicks, which I think most NBA teams right now would be ready to hire Chris Paul as an exec or, or coaching level or some form on the staff because he's so his his experience and his IQ is so invaluable and priceless that I think. Possibly signing Chris Paul isn't a two-year system. It could be. It could go on for the rest of the 20s, or at least up until 2025. But I think if Chris Paul is signed now, with his connections, he might be able to bring on a strong free agent or two in two seasons if he's willing to agree to have his pay broken up within a couple of years. And he's a smart businessman, Chris Paul. He is. I've read somewhere he's the fifth and richest NBA player of all time with with the Damn. amount of money that he's made. He knows money. He knows connections. And I think Chris Paul, maybe he doesn't see a championship in his near future, but I think he can definitely see a high-level executive role with a lot of money and a lot of power coming in the next decade. And I think that's something that he definitely values. Um, and I think, yes. I, think, I think hiring Chris Paul, and if all those things I mentioned are on the table – I would I would gladly hire Chris Paul. Let's get those connections. Let's get that network. Let's make the Knicks the best connected organization in the entire NBA. Once you have those connections, the players start coming in. Players want to join the organization. The problem with the Knicks right now is no one wants to join the organization because we suck. <laughs> we can't develop our while, players. We can't develop like, our players. Our brand is we aside don't, from the Carmelo blip on the radar, it's like our brand is just like mediocrity and trash. Yeah. So. We, we're, we're known to not treat our players well. We're known to not develop our players, but we hired the assistant coaches. We hired the right coaching staff. We hired agents, agents who know what players want as our front office. So they're going to know exactly what players want when we try to sign them. You bring Chris Paul in, the most connected player in the NBA right now, again, aside from probably LeBron James, yeah. that only adds on to it. Salary aside, the salary, if we can break it out in a couple of years, it should work. Let's say worst case, let's say worst case scenario you can't break it out. We have advanced level capsologists on our team that should be able to make it work so we get other high level free agents on the team. Worst case scenario, we don't sign any of them. We have development coaches who should be able to help. Mitchell Robinson, Frank Nilakina, RJ Barrett, this year's draft pick, next year's draft pick, make it to the next level. We can't assume that we're gonna get Kate Cunningham in the twenty twenty one NBA draft, but we're we're whoever play, whichever player we'll get we can trust our front office to choose one, choose a best player, and two, develop them accordingly and correctly. That's where I stand. I think I think signing Chris Paul at the end of the day would be trading for Chris Paul. You mean sorry, trading, agent, trading, yeah. right? Thank you for trading it's, it's, for it's Chris Paul would be would be though, good for this. You did mention like that type. Of, like I'm 
speaking in the abstract hypothetical, that does seem very feasible. Just given like building off the last point, last last week's point about like you know uh, Leon leveraging his connection, his history with Chris Paul to convince him to sign multiple years. I could definitely see that spinning off into like if Leon entrenches himself in the next org as the president for not even just five years, but just for the long term. I could definitely see just like Chris Paul um, getting like if he were to come here to the Knicks and really kind of leverages his partnership with Leon, I could definitely see him just build, building a role up into our organization in a capacity. Yeah. You know what I mean? That or assistant coach or whatever because, like you said, it's all about connections. And I think that's we've seen it work like that. Like, didn't Sean Livingston? Like, he just got a front yeah. office job with Golden State. Mm-hmm. Like, we, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. This is the league. This is real life, ladies and gentlemen. You have connections. You have your little network. You make sure those people get hired. You treat them right, and then you build your network from there. But I want to kind of stick on the contract aspect. Then I, I, I hope to kind of make myself clear because maybe our listeners possibly think that like Chris Paul is the number one option. I prefer, you know, if we were to get Fred Van Fleet in free agency. You know, he's he's younger, um, less uh, mileage on the tires, um, less of an injury history. But the, the caveat obviously is he's unrestricted free agent. He has a choice in the matter. Chris Paul probably has a choice too. He's going to dictate obviously where he gets traded to, but. You know, Van Fleet's out there on the open market. So that's my thinking about why I would be fine with a Chris Paul trade just because it will tell me that Leon and Wes have the intel that Van, Van Fleet, as much as they would want him, as much as we'd be connected to him too, they probably realize that he's not going to be, you know, uh, a realistic option because, you know, he'll probably get, he'll definitely get offered the bag from Toronto. He'll definitely get offered the bag from Phoenix. They, I don't know they got Rubio, but Van Fleet and Rubio as like the, them you know as locking down the point guard spot for them over there to compliment booker that's a nice combo as well you know detroit is in the market for a point guard you know they're they're somehow with blake griffin on the roster still trying to be win now so it makes sense for them to get a point guard yeah but yeah i mean to round back to cp3 i think that's why i would be i'm fine with the trade and why i think it indicates that we are really hot on his heels because it wouldn't even that's my thing where we've got super connectors running shit now so they know what's what's out there in terms of rumors and and the grapevine you know and i think there's a reason that dudes that are actually really connected with players like david zanon you know we brought his name up a couple times going back months back where he's the guy that cryptically said some shit like oh cp3 and gallo coming soon eyeball emoji on twitter as these as these cool people are, are, are as they like to do on Twitter, thinking they fucking mysterious and shit. The fuck out of here! Like, just tell us you know something. You know what I mean? Like, you try to act like you you Mr. Cool Guy in the know with your three K followers. I mean, that's not. A, I mean, David's on good 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 Twitter follow. Yeah, good not, guy. not a shot at him, yeah, but it's yeah. just funny. But yeah, I mean, to round back, I think my biggest thing with Chris Paul to me, it's it's a message and it's like a it's it's a point of emphasis by the front office. Like, yo, we're not. We're not about the tank game no more. You know, it's been seven years. Like, let me, let me do the count. 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. That is six straight years in the lotto. 2016, we didn't have a pick. That pick turned out to be Jamal Murray, but we were still a lottery team. You know what I mean? And it's it's about time to me, This this if it's a hard push, if they get into a bidding war for CP3, to me that indicates they're really just done with it. They're done with trying to um, leverage the lotto because – yeah, at this point, it, it seeps into the culture, it seeps into the team, it seeps into the reputation of the organization if you guys are just always... It is a reason why, we're t- like, it didn't make sense to us when the lottery happened and we got clowned so hard, but the reason is really just because, oh, it's another year the Knicks are in the lotto, let's clown the fuck out of them, you know what I mean? 
So I think Leon's sick of it. I know Dolan's sick of it. So to me, chasing CP3, getting him in here, is like, yo, we're we're about that win now shit. And not just win now, not like, yo, let's chuck our young pit, young kids to the side, throw our picks out the window. It's about like maximizing our young talent right now while also acquiring talent and maintaining some level of flexibility. Those are the hallmarks of great organizations. Like I mentioned that Zach Lowe piece about Miami. He hammered that home multiple times, talk about multiple different organizations. And I think that's the, the mentality that Leon's trying to instill into our org. And Tibbs is known as that guy. He's never Mr. Tank, you know. He's always just coming in no matter what the roster. They're going to compete to the very best, you know, and win and treat the, excuse me, regular season as like a major, um, treat the regular season seriously and win, you know, not just be about development. So that leads me to my kind of, you know, we've been talking offline. You're you're a little bit on the fence, so I'm going to say it flat out now. Are you down for the tank or not for 2021 we kind of touched on it last week but officially i want to get your stance like no. Nah? no no tank no i think uh, i'm not down for the tank but it also depends on who's playing on our roster if what's it what's his name from back in uh 2014 15 season that made that game-winning basket I don't know and if Dower, it, and Dower, and Dower. Yes, uh, he made that that basket against the Magic that cost us like a position. Like if it's that kind of shit, I don't want to <laughs> deal with that. But if it's like R.J. Barrett and Mitch Robinson and Frank Nilkina leading the way for the Knicks to win 35, 36 games somehow, and us not getting the lottery, I can accept that. That's fine because they're in our future. They're they're future prospects. But if it's like fucking Endower or Tim Hardaway Jr. scoring like last second buzzer beating baskets that 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 might potentially make us lose out on future all-stars and MVPs. No, I don't want I don't want to have to deal with that. But I'll ra- I'll raise you this though. What if it's like what if it's not those young players leading the way? What if it's those young players having good seasons, being complimentary pieces to CP3 and let's say Gallo leading the way, Gallinari leading the way. How you feel? Like what if that's that's the end game here. They're trying to get these veterans in. Like it's basically like you and I talked about it. Like it's the non dumbass execution of the plan Scott Perry and Steve Mills had. Like that was, I think that was a good plan. Get vets in, and and then develop your young players. We didn't see the pl- player development, and the vets they brought in didn't fit the skill set of the young players. That's a no no. You know what I mean? Like we keep talking about it, and hammering at home that Randall was not the best fit for Mitch and RJ and it's not personal I, I like Randall as a player it's just the frustr he was just so frustrating last season because it became so clear and I was mad at myself for not seeing it happen or like projecting it because it's like it's it's simple basketball you can't have three major core pieces of your lineup that can't shoot consistently this is not good for anybody you know like spacing wise so I think this season if we see if we were to see like off going off that tanking conversation if we were to go just push for 35 37 38 wins um, maybe just miss out on the playoffs, and or, or if like you know down the down the wire in March, February, or actually I don't even know what the fuck, fucking timeline is when the season starts. But like when when we're at the end of the season, where it's like the last fifteen twenty percent of the games left to be played are left. I think if we're out of the playoff race, or if it doesn't seem realistic, I think that's when you'll see like tanking, uh, um, being optimized, and that's just smart to me. You know what I mean? That's just simple math. But I think the way the lottery's set up now. Um, just our collective history the last couple of years, we can't go in thinking like, yo, what's another year of tanking again? What, 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 what's, what's, uh, what's the big deal with taking another year and wasting it to like have the hope of having the number one pick? Because 
Cade Cunningham, like it's the same situation we have with Zion. You know what I mean? That was the closest we ever possibly fucking could get. That was the stacked draft. Remember that, right? All the talk about oh, we we did it right, we tank right, we did everything right, and we followed three. You know, that's the danger of this lotto system. So I'd hate to see that happen again, and I don't think Leon's trying to see it again. Yeah, we can't. CP3 pursuit. We can't. Yeah, we can't settle in on the what ifs. And I know a lot of people think back towards 2003, when the Knicks. Damn, you're taking it way back. I know, I know. Because that was the last time. I mean, 2003, we had LeBron, Melo, and Wade, and Bosch in that draft, but the Knicks got the, the, Knicks got the ninth pick that season because they had a decent season the year before. But it, like, we, we had that opportunity, like you mentioned, with Zion and Ja. But we, we landed with R.J. Barrett, who was a great player, and we're expecting high things from him. But we can't, we can't keep losing see- or wasting all years for – you know, hypotheticals or potentials. Yeah, and I see your your point with the O three thing. Like, yeah, it would have been nice to have a top five pick that year, but that's just like there were some good players that year. Like, yeah. we could have like what well, we had ninth pick that year. We picked fucking Sweetney, fucking Oliver Miller. No, Sweetney. I think Mike. Mike. Sweetney. Yeah. Oh no, no. Yeah, Michael Sweetney, Oliver Miller's twin. But uh, yeah, Michael Sweetney. So like, but instead of picking him, what if we pick David West? Like in the grand scheme of things, he's not like a superstar, but he was in that 2003 draft. What if we pick them? That'd yeah. be a good pick, relatively speaking. And like, that's another thing uh, Zach Lowe noted in his um in his piece. Like teams like Miami, teams like Indiana that are aren't haven't necessarily been title contenders anytime recently but they have been in that mix in that playoff mix consistently now for years in a row yeah and that's because their scouting is so good to the point where if they're late lalo late late lotto <laughs> what i say late lalo that's yeah, like I don't that late was. lottery if they're late lottery like miami like yeah. bam was at 13th pick hero mm-hmm. was 14th pick and we proof is in the pudding we see what they're doing right it's about scouting yeah. it's about development and it's from uh, we're obviously fans, we spectators. We don't know, but we we'll keep talking about it. You know, like Walt Perrin. We didn't know who he was before he got hired, but like when you read into him, boom, amazing scouting eye. You know what I mean? Johnny Bryan's our assist- associate head coach, and he did wonders with the development program in Utah. Same thing with Frank Zanin. He was a development guy or development GM or whatever scouting guy for uh, Utah, I think it was or mm-hmm. OKC. Mm-hmm. And we know what OKC is like with the development. So. I don't know. I mean, I mean, Yo- just, Jokic. I don't even think he was a top. He was he was he, he wasn't even a lottery pick, he was, right? He was a second round pick. Yeah, he was a second round pick, and Giannis was like round like 13th, pick number fifteen, yeah, sorry, or you like I mean? one of those. Middleton was a second round pick of right. Detroit that they traded for. You know what I mean? Uh, Pascal it's, Siakam, I think, was the same situation. Late and, first round pick. He was twenty six. The exact pick we got this year. Yeah, as a second first round pick. You know what I mean? And that's that's Rudy the thing. Gobert. Yeah, twenty seventh. And and you know, Davin Mitchell was like thirteen, and like. You know, to make like a bit of a baseball reference, we can't keep swinging for for the home run every year by losing the rest of the season. We should just take what we get and maximize the potential. Yeah, you know, go and for I, a few doubles, go for go for a few triples or singles like that. It'll yeah. make it work. And then let's say you know down the road there will always be players available that were former first round picks. Those players might want to come to a well-oiled machine like the New York Knicks down the road, an organization that functions well and takes care of its players and develops and maximizes their abilities. We can't keep gunning for the number one pick anymore. That was the strategy the last half of the decade. It's it's time to move on and start developing and just maximizing our players while we can without wasting cap space and losing our picks. We can't trade picks for Chris Paul. I want to make sure that that's clear. I'm not saying— What picks, though? Like I don't think it's going to be first-round picks. Like, if— like I, I threw a, I threw in well, actually hold up before we go into that I, like I want to kind of hammer home in agreement with your last point that like yeah it's um to us right now I just kind of hit me like we have just seen or witnessed 
the residual effect of tanking you know what i mean like what happens when you do tank which to me i've always been historically on record saying it's mathematically at least before the latter wads got shifted it was a it was a great strategy because let's be honest all the best stars the superstars come from who you draft but because the lottery odds got changed and because of goats to my point about the residual effect of tanking over multiple years it ruins your reputation it destroys morale it um gets people fired so that that there goes the continuity conti- con- continuity continuity yeah from your organization from your coaching staff it's and we've seen that cascade effect you know what i mean like as much as there there's a subset of nick fans that just hold grudges against mellow because of what we gave up for him we were still those years he was there we were in the mix we were every year there was expectations and i missed the feeling of having expectations bro as like i don't miss the disappointment but yo I would kill to be a Rockets fan right now. Like, they're disappointed in shit, but, yo, they're always in the mix. You know what I mean? Let's get back to that. You know what I mean? Like, we're not trying to talk about, like, yo, instant title contender. Boom, Knicks are going to win the title. Like, yo, let's just get back in the mix. You know You know what I mean? And I think Leon's got that same vision. But, um, shit, what was, what was, what was another point I was going to make before I agree with you? Um, what was, what was the last thing you said about, uh, uh, trading <laughs> picks, maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, last week I said let's throw in the Charlotte seconds, right? Mm-hmm. Would you do that? For who? Uh, for Chris Paul? For Chris Paul. Like, let's say it's Kevin Knox, Julius Randle, the two Charlotte seconds for Chris Paul. Would you do that? Who are the players again? You said Randle, Knox, and one, two, one the, second the rounder? Two uh, Charlotte seconds. Uh, Would you nah, do that? I don't think so. For real? What's, uh, what's the reason? It, depen- it depends on the uh, – I guess it, if we get some form of guarantee that he'll – not take the full money the second season the 44 million then maybe but two second rounders is a lot dude for especially I for mean, charlotte for a team as bad as they were that's that's swinging for another home run with chris paul expecting is the, it really a ball. lot though because perspective wise we see second round pits every year get traded for cash just sold for cash so really it's just like cash yeah but we've, we we also have mitchell robinson who was a second round pick imagine we traded him you know like that's that kind of, especially with with our capability as drafters, which I'm, you know, finger crossed, we have we have a strong team of play of people who can draft well. Um, what if it's the Clippers pick though? The Clippers pick Knox and Randall. So then we keep the high second, which is actually probably better than a late first, just because the contract isn't guaranteed, you know, and it's less on the cap. But perspective wise, get a, there's not can... much quality difference in the prospect between like a late first and like a high second. You know what I mean? It's like the same kind of tier of guys. So would you do the late first pick? I mean, it depends on how OKC really sees Chris Paul. Do they see him as a player who's... I mean, they're trying to move him, bro. They're right, going they're, into they're trying to move him who has a leverage. Who has, who has more of a leverage, the Knicks or the Thunder? Um, The Thunder because they're a small market team during a pandemic with a big salary and they just fired their coach and they're trying to go young. So I think the Knicks low-key have the leverage. But also... I think it's um we got to consider if, the the suitors like what if you know like we said like previously Milwaukee CP3 so yeah go ahead my fault my, my fault just to answer your no, question no, about who has I'm leverage thinking, like, if we could get like a future if we get like a 2022 second round pick or some shit like that along with Chris Paul and we give up LA's first round pick that's kind of quibbling no because it's like at the end of the day it's like we got to wait I mean you asked me last week and I didn't really have a solid answer for it is Chris Paul a 44 million dollar player. For us, I think he would be just because to the point and to the rant we just had, think of the years of losing and just like the corrosive nature of just like having that losing mentality that comes from tanking. Chris Paul ain't having none of that shit. Tibbs ain't having none of that shit. I would love to just have those two voices being the ones that steer us in the short term to change, you know? 
And, like, yeah, we're rolling the dice, like, 35-year-old Chris Paul, who will be 35 when the season starts, 36 at the end of it. We're rolling the dice on him really carrying over the level of play from last season. But if he's not that level of play, I don't think he's, like, we, we touched on it last week, there's, it's, gonna be, it's not going to be a historical drop-off. I think it's going to be, like, maybe 90% version of what we just saw, which is still pretty fucking good and by far the best option we've had at point guard. So I think yeah, but we're also that's giving why I'm up, to throw in those seconds or even a late first. You know? Not any of those Dallas picks, though. We're I, also I giving up there. Kevin Knox, which I know like we can speak mm-hmm. to the stats or the poor stats that he had last season, but there are also episodes where we're talking about like how he's only just 20... 21 years old and he still has that potential we're giving up a lottery pick and randall who isn't an unproductive player he is a productive player at the end of the day he's if just he's a bad a, fit you know it's just he's like just a, a bad like fit a right so negative so neg- depending negative on the, the roster depending on the fit he still is a capable 20 and 10 player who's relatively young he's only going to enter his prime right now he might feel fit well with the okc team um, yeah, but that's the point. He'll fit better with them than he would with us. Right, you know so I mean? I'm saying like, that that could be enough to get Chris Paul. I don't think we should have to throw in a first-round pick along with it, too. Chris Paul isn't that – I mean, people get superstars for that, you know? I'm sure uh, – I mean, we've seen superstars get traded for multiple firsts. A late first we see get sold for cash, you know? We're throwing in a late first to uh, – like, yeah, Knox was, Knox was a lotto pick, but he hasn't produced nearly like one. He's been negative value, and I still – have some belief in him, at least as far as this year. But let, let's let me throw you a hypothetical. What if we were to pick Isaac Okoro at eight? Which, by all accounts, like if Knox is a puppy dog, Okoro mentality wise is not. You know, he's the, he's a bulldog. You know, um, I, I would I think I would in that point at that point entertain that. You know, like having like I see Okoro get Jalen Brown comparisons and his mentality, just like what what kind of a dog he is on defense. He's like the best defender in the draft, right? The only thing he's really missing as a wing is a jump shot. So we'd be lucky if he's there at eight. Um, so if he is, if we yeah, were to Vessel, pick him. Vessel's there too, and he got the shot on the defense. That's what I mean. So like, if the goal is to kind of get a stretch for in free agency, um, and we get Vessel or Okoro, that's a wing, right, with our pick. RJ's the other wing. Where does Knox fit in, you know? And we Bagley just reported in his mailbag we're going to see more veterans than we than would otherwise expect for a young team this season. So I'm thinking if we were to throw Knox Randall, like I, I, like picking a wing would lessen the impact of giving up Knox. Is my point. Like, w- would you agree, or would like in that situation, would you still hold on to Knox? Would you say that's too much? I'm not dying to keep Knox. If that answers your question. So the so the bigger especially drawback especially is if Killian Hayes especially if Killian Hayes isn't available at eight, then we have to go with the wing with with either Coro or Vessel. Um. Um. You know, I'm willing to give up Knox for Chris Paul. That's fine. I I don't know if I'm willing. Just pick, I just right? don't know if I'm willing to give up a first round pick with Knox and Randall for Chris Paul, who will be 35 years old and 36 years old, in during his time in New York. And then, but the thing is, though, if it's we're talking about the 26 pick, right? Um, I know we just kind of it's it's not hypocritical to, per se, but like we were just talking about how like scouting, you could find diamonds in the rough in the late first draft. But going back the other way, statistically speaking, it's very hard to find contributors at the late first round level. So that's my thinking in terms of just let's throw that in as a sweetener. Um, I'd even go that that first round pick and that one of the two Charlotte seconds. That's you know? a lot. I think that's a lot. Is I it really, though? I don't think we it's need that not much. Too, I don't think we need a, that much bro, for Chris Paul. Wait, what? I don't know if we need that much for Chris Paul. I think that's the thing we do. It. I mean, 
I don't automatically said if we get to a bidding war, he, he doesn't see us coming away with Chris Paul. But let's look at it uh, holistically, though, because I know we're Knicks fans. We're close to the situation. But, like, from the OKC's perspective, this is a point guard that literally, by two shots to everyone, led you to a playoff run and 44 wins in the in competitive West. And we're bringing him here to the East where it's easier. Like, let's look at the bottom standings of, of seeds 6 through 9 and 10 in the East. It's not even close. We add Chris Paul to the mix. We get a, we get some other veteran pieces that fit our young pieces. I think that's the that's the incentive to why I would kind of throw those picks in as well. It might, it, I, I don't want to say it's blowing our wad. To me, blowing our wad would be like if we just throw in the Dallas picks because I don't know if you saw on Twitter, Mike Vorkanov or The Athletic, he had a hypothetical in his athletic article where he was going back and forth with an OKC writer. I, that. I think and he was I think the offer extra Dallas picks and shit. I think that's OKC the one where he like, responded like that's a generous offer, right? Exactly. <laughs> so I'm grading that as a generous offer. So that's why like the happy medium would be that that second first this year, the Charlotte pick because we know Charlotte's going to be ass and high second round picks are valuable. Knox is a reclamation project for OKC. Um, and Julius Randle would be like help them in the short term. And to us, we're taking on Chris Paul, but we also has he also has that that contract. You know, like I think we got to get used to the idea of this. just like we got to give up something to get something. You know, right? I mean, but typically for these big contracts that pose like a hindrance to teams, they're usually the ones that give us a pick. So that's why I understand with with Chris Paul and the run that they just had, it's a different scenario. But it's. I I I'd hate to see us one not get a pick taking on Chris Paul's monster contract. At the end of the day, it is a monster contract. But that's and the us thing, though, giving us picks in return. All the fact that he's Chris Paul, though, you know what I mean. Like the thing about those other p- contracts that do get traded, they're almost always tied to role players that aren't even near the quality of Chris Paul. So while yeah, his dollar amount might be comparable or more than those other contracts that got dealt, we got to also compare the player level too. So it's like proportional. You know what I mean? Like. Like, yeah, picks were had to be given up to drop a bad contract, but I don't know if that's going to be the same, especially with it sounds like people are going to be gunning for Chris Paul too, bro. That's I think that's another thing. Like, I don't want to get into a bidding war. I'm not trying to throw the Dallas picks in there, but 26th and a 2021 second-round pick for Charlotte, that's it's not like we're giving away the store, bro. You know what I mean? I mean, we're giving up the cap flexibility plus those. I mean, we work so hard to get those picks. I mean – God forbid, well, God forbid, Chris Paul gets injured. This is just gonna bite us right in the ass. Giving up two picks too, and the and the cap. Those are two things that we have going for us: cap flexibility and picks. Right now, That's are we willing to give up both for Chris? For. What if he gets hurt? Like we're we're screwed too if we keep Randall and he gets hurt. Then he's a straight up albatross because he doesn't fit on the court and he's like gonna be IR. Like God forbid he gets hurt. No, we obviously don't want any of these players to get hurt, but you know that needs to be put into the equation as well. Like. Hypothetically, yeah, anybody can get hurt, and yeah, Chris Paul's history. But it's like, I think I, know, I, think, I don't think we're giving away the store. I know? think the first round pick plus Knox and Rando would be the absolute most I would go. I don't think I'd be willing to give up a second round Charlotte pick for twenty twenty one too, no less. Well, that's the thing. Let me put it this way: if this Chris Paul we just saw last year, what if we were to offer Randall, Knox, Marcus Morris, who we got for that first round pick, and future Charlotte second would would you not give that up for Chris Paul I mean Marcus Morris is different because we don't expect his production to you know stay the way it was and we saw that with the Clippers but, he, but he's a he's something solid he's an actual like asset though he's he's not something abstract like a pick 
That's the thing. Would you do that deal? Because if you were to do that deal, I don't see why you wouldn't do the other deal. No, I don't think I. Marcus. I don't think I would have just because I think. So you wouldn't do either deal then. I mean, if you were telling me this in the, in the beginning of last season, I would have said no. Hmm. I think in hindsight, I don't. I mean, Randall's not a bad player. Um, I th- He's a bad fit though. He he with is the a roster as constructed and with our young players, like he doesn't fit our cornerstones. You know, sad as that is to say. Unless Mitch suddenly has a a wet ass jumper, same with RJ. I, I think. I mean, Marcus Morris and the future first round pick. I think they're not the same value. I think that's why the trade was so good because we were able to dump him on a from a one year contract and get a first round pick out of him. I think. We don't know who that pick is going to be. We don't know how good they might be, but I get what you're saying that first round picks statistically aren't that good. But I think that's late the first round picks. Late first round picks, yeah. I, but I think that's the thing with this draft. No one, no one really knows where the. There's no consensus from one to sixty, you know. And I think there are players that might be. Again, it's it's the might be part that's diamond in the rough, diamond in the rough. Um, I don't. I don't think I'd be willing to give up that second round pick with with the first round pick and Knox. I think that's 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 basically giving up three recent picks plus Randall, who's not you know old. He's twenty five. For Chris Paul, though, Hall of Fame point guard that was just highly Chris Paul, efficient. Chris Paul, five years. Year. He was still Chris a top Paul 10, a couple of years ago. If he if he were 10. still on the Clippers and were taken from the Clippers, yeah. But I think I think Chris Paul coming out of the OKC Thunder, about to turn thirty five years old, owed eighty eight million dollars. Uh, I think that's pushing it. I think that's pushing it too much. Are you debating the merit I don't, of Chris Paul as a player? Because that's the point I'm trying to get through here as well. He was still, he was not. He was. He was, he, he, he he was, was arguably had his best, most efficient season in like two seasons last year. For sure. But there's there's no guarantee he's going to keep it up next season. Most likely he's not going to keep it up next season. He's only going to get older. Statistically, players don't. Yeah, but I touched on this last week. Hall of Fame point guards, they're the rarity. Uh, Kid, Nash, Stockton. I mean, Chris Nash, Nash the very broke fact down. that Chris Paul paid at the level at at thirty four is is an anomaly that proves that Nash broke down by the time he was like thirty four when he joined the Lakers. He couldn't keep up. We thought that was a championship team, but Nash was the first one to get injured. He wasn't thirty four on the Lakers. He was older, wasn't he? Not. I don't know. I'm assuming he was like thirty four, thirty five. All right, we're gonna do a real time fact check. Yeah, fact check, check. Check that shit. He was 38 when he got into the Lakers, bro. That's I four mean, years that's different. That's not that far. That's my <laughs> point, bro. That's the point I made last week. It's like it's not 34, 35 that's problematic for these Hall of Fame point guards. It's well into the 36 through 39 range, not even 37 through 39. Because I'm looking at Steve Nash at 36. He was still 14 and 11, like 11 assists a game. How many how games? Was, how many games splits? did he play? Wait, what? How many games did he play? 75. So, like, yeah, it's not a one-to-one comparison. Chris Paul's not Steve Nash. But I'm saying, like, they're cut from that same cloth. Like, it's Hall of Fame point guards are different, you know. And I'm not saying Chris Paul is going to be, like, clean bill of health where we're to sign him. I expect him, if we were to trade him, he becomes a Nick. There are probably going to be names, games for load management. There's probably going to be going to be games where he misses for Nick, Nicks and Knacks, you know. But if we were to get a young point guard, wouldn't that be an opportunity for that young point guard, young point guard to really – step into the lineup those those times you know like i think i think it's a benefit to us because like we really chris paul is gonna be a game changer bro like it goes without saying like he's chris paul (laughs) i even brought up last week jason Kidd was 34 
like when he got traded to Dallas, turned 35 middle of that season, by the end of that season, just as the same age Chris Paul is going to be when we get him, you know? Are you debating the merit of Chris Paul? Is that what's going I'm on? Not, you look I'm like not, you have a whole internal debate. <laughs> I'm not debating the merit of Chris Paul. I think my inner Knicks PTSD is coming, coming in or like showcasing right now on giving up flexibility and picks for one player. You know, that's that's a scary thing. No one no one's discrediting the merit of Chris Paul. I just know he's had I mean if you're it, saying you're not gonna give a Charlotte second round pick for Chris Paul in a package that has Kevin Knox and Julius Randle then And and a first round pick. A late twenty sixth overall first round pick, bro. It's not like we're giving our uh, our eighth pick. That's like your reaction, I feel like would be appropriate if I were to say let's give it an ace for Chris Paul. Fuck it. That's some Isaiah Thomas shit. <laughs> Because, like, why I'm not worried is because we do have that second-round pick in this draft as well, which is pretty high, like 38, 35 or some shit, like high 30s, right? Something like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess the one downside could be just – not one downside, but you could look at it as, like, yeah, maybe if we trade this late first-round pick, we'll have less ammo to trade up. But, hey, if we trade for Chris Paul, why would we want to trade up for who? Like, LaMelo? I don't know. Not not denying the merit of Chris Paul, of course not. I don't know, bro. I'm arguing very vehemently, but who knows? Maybe like he will break down, but I don't think so. Just because I think we also got to play into the real time aspect that like in the middle of his thirty age thirty four season when he did turn thirty five, there was a huge break, and for old people, they just love having that time off. <laughs> you know what I mean? That could help. You know, like. OKC just got limited, so there's another offseason. It's two offseasons in one. You know what I mean? I think that needs to play into it, into, like, playing into the likelihood that maybe he will probably hold up. You know, I'm not expecting him to play the full season, but if he had, what, 70 games this last season for OKC? Yeah, I'd expect I, 65. I don't know if the extra rest makes anything better. I know lockdown seasons, there typically tends to be an uptick in injuries, actually. Lockouts. This, I don't know if I said lockdown. Lockout season. The thing about lockouts, though, those are like players are completely shut off from team facilities. You know, these guys have been access to team facilities and team trainers. You know, that's the difference. I don't. I don't. I don't, I mean, I, I don't think I'd give up. I don't think I'd give up that much for Chris Paul at the end of the day. I think is it really that much stuff. I think. I think it is a lot. I think me. Me personally, I. I like the outlook. I didn't. I wouldn't be signing Chris Paul for the immediate. I. I didn't think we'd win more than like 37 games with Chris Paul I mean it depends on who we get what if let's go back to the hypothetical we dro- uh, we talked about many months ago Chris Paul and Gallo they're in the starting lineup we got RJ up there we get Frank in the starting lineup and we have Mitch is that not like a pretty nice kind of little lineup maybe like 40 games which isn't bad I guess depends how the bench looks right mm-hmm it's a big change for us, you know, and reputation wise, like we see what happens with reputation, bro. The Nets won like a, a paltry 40 games and then like they're they're the beacon of like a great organization. They're the, they're that they're that org, apparently. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You saw like all the fluff fucking puff pieces that were written about the Nets when they had a season where they missed the playoffs and like all oh, the, the Nets culture is on the rise. Like all we all we need is a season like that, bro. All we need is one of those seasons where, you know, the, the fairy tale story, Chris Paul leads us to to on the verge of the playoffs our young kids learn so much yada yada at the uh, end of the day these are 
See, you're, you're hearing me open, openly thinking right now. So these are extra picks. It's not like us giving up our own picks, which is what we've done in the past, and that's what, that's what makes this different. We got these extra picks for a reason. These extra picks netting us Chris Paul, which can help us win more games, which people can have help the young players. It'll, it'll, help, it'll, it'll help develop the young players. It'll bring us down in the draft, which, again, the, the solution to that is having high-level draft scouts, which we now have. Fingers and then crossed. with the draft lottery odds, we could be 11th odds and jump to five. Which, we see that. You know, and then people are going to point to how how historically that's never happened, but we can't not that's not that shouldn't be a forever thing you know unfortunately it hasn't happened fucking like 30 years but uh or 35 but wait what what didn't happen 30 35 years uh cut out for a second my fault the net of the the pick going up oh yeah i mean that's we're due then shit yeah i mean yeah (laughs) um it's it's the outlook that i like if there is some form of you know, kind of guarantee that Chris Paul is going to be a part of the Knicks organization for for years to come, more outside of this, just the next two years, then do it. You know, but if it's just for two seasons and then he's out, is it really worth it? If we can develop the players that we draft that we gave up for Chris Paul, if he's just a two year rental, then it's not worth it. I can assure you that whoever we would draft with 26 pick, it's very unlikely that they'll have the level of impact that a 35-year-old Chris Paul would have this season and even next. I think that the, st- the statistics are on my side, bro. Like, <laughs> it's it's just playing the odds. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I'm just like, we could agree to disagree on it being like a lot, but I'm just kind of blown away that it's considered a lot. Like, we're the Knicks. Chris Paul is a Hall of Fame point guard. Like, yeah, his contract is big, but it's still a player option. He's still Chris Paul. His reputation is sterling, both around the league and with organizations. We're going to need to give up something to get him. You know what I mean? I think last year would probably be the year where it would, like, it, it would make more sense for assets to come our way to take his contract on because it was like another year added on. It was two years plus a player option. This would be one year with a player option. So it's like an expiring contract almost. I'll let you think on that. Yeah, I mean, I'd want to see what the <laughs> offer would be for Mike Conley instead because he's not too far apart. I, obviously, he's not the level of Chris Paul, but it is Mike Conley, and he, we probably could lose less to get him. Again, I like Chris Paul more because of the potential he could lead for the future of the Knicks. Yeah, but the gap between them as players, bro. We touched on it kind of last week, but it's it's. I think gap. I think you see Chris Paul more as how – how much he can contribute on the actual team. I'm thinking holistically on how the team would improve under him, not really necessarily by number of games won, but just player development overall. But we do have some of the top assistant coaches now. Who, Mike Conley? No, Chris Paul. I uh, I don't know. Wait, you were talking about Mike Conley, his his effect in terms of the culture? No, no, that was Chris Paul. Oh, I got you, got you. Well, yeah, I mean... (laughs) Looking at the numbers, like I mean, the eye test supports it too. Chris Paul still looked like the point god, if like a little bit of an older version. But Conley, true shooting percentage of fifty three percent compared to sixty one percent for Chris Paul. Um, usage rate for Conley, usage rate for Conley was twenty three percent. Chris Paul was twenty three percent as well. So like similar usage, but Chris Paul's efficiency blows him away. 
and he's got about three years on him, two years at least, you know. And but yeah, the the, the benefit obviously is going to cost less. It's going to be um, less risky for our cap. Obviously, we're not relying on a on a hypothetical where Chris Paul would be generous to us. Um, with Conley, it's just an expiring contract flat out. So yeah, these are fair points, and I know just, we talked about it previously. I do it. It just has to be more than just two two years. I think that's that's what I'm looking for. If we're going to give up the picks. If we get the, if we have an outlook, a higher outlook of more than just two seasons with Chris Paul as in part as part of the Knicks organization, I say do it. Because again, yeah. his his network and his his level of IQ, basketball wise and business wise, is priceless. You know, so yeah. that's why you know when it comes to the picks, sure. But I do want I do want some form of guarantee that he'll be a part of us for more than two seasons. Well, there's no way we could get that guarantee as fans. They as wouldn't fans, even publicly no, know that. Not. That's tampering. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. um, I do think, like, kind of going back, like, reversing direction on what I just said earlier, I don't think it's that much of a wishful thinking hypothetical just because we've seen it at, as the Knicks, too. We saw a kid when we signed him in the summer of 2012 before that 54-win season. He was, what, 37? We gave him a three-year deal. And then what happened right afterwards, he, he retired and pocketed the money. So what's to say that we don't do the same shit with Chris Paul? Like when he opts out, his his player option was forty four mil. Mm-hmm. What if we give him three years, sixty mil, and then he plays like a season after that on that twenty mil, and then he retires and he pockets that last? Wouldn't that be something that like Wes and Leon could talk Chris Paul into? I mean, I don't know. We're I mean, talking si- 60, at this point yeah, hypotheticals. Yeah. Si- sixty you know? mil is is what sixteen million dollars in a span of three years. I think he's that's twenty mil per year. You know, if if we do it a flat amount, that's Right, but I'm saying in, in addition he'll be getting he'll he'll be he'll be getting in addition sixteen more oh, yeah, sixteen yeah. million Total, more. Yeah. So if you think about him if he play if we if he were to play one season at the age of thirty seven, he could easily get twelve, thirteen million dollars. So he'll be shorting himself millions of dollars if he were to accept a three year sixty million dollar contract. That's true. It could be like three years seventy mil, you know what I mean? Like But at that point, is are we giving up are we paying him too much? But then that goes into just what if Chris Paul, what if we don't know, hypothetically, 2021, what if he does this deal because he knows that like we're going to we're going to bring in a big fish. We're not, we're not going to go down that route. I'm not thinking we're ever going to get a big fish anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But what if hypothetically that needs to be in play, considering that 2021, there's a reason why we have this flexibility for that free agency class. You know, so what if he does that? He'll take the quote unquote loss. But financially, it's not really a loss because he. Like a lot, I've seen a lot of reporters say the same thing. There's a lot of NBA players that actually do prefer the long-term security as opposed to the the short-term yeah. like uh, gain, you know. And that's what that's so what I, I was saying when we when we first started talking about Chris Paul. That you know, you made this point earlier last you know last week or two um, that he might be down and take on that that breakout, but it would have to be more than three years. You know, three years, 70, 70 million is a lot um, on our cap, especially because at that point. Some of the rookie contracts might be up for an extension, and if the players are as good as we hope, they're gonna want you know big term extensions. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I mean, we could put a pin in that for now. I yeah. feel like as of now, before before anything even just became before a movie even came to fruition, we exhausted this Chris Paul topic. So, um, <laughs> I did want to pivot. Yeah. Um, talk about our young players and how Chris Paul is gonna raise their ceiling. Hmm. Um. Got the all rookie first team announcement happened earlier this week. I know a couple of our our Knicks uh, brethren 
um, the NBK brothers in arms, you know what I mean? The NBK network, they, they did a, a good episode, a good sportscaster episode about this as well. So definitely check that out if they haven't, or if you haven't already, but, um, yeah, all, RJ got snubbed from all the all rookie teams. So right away, I want to ask you what you, th- what you feel about that. He was what? 11th in voting. So he just missed it. Yeah. I'm looking at the teams. First team for our listeners that haven't had the chance to, um, you know, see this list. The NBA All-Rookie First Team is John Morant, Brandon Clark of of the Memphis Grizzlies, Kendrick Nunn of the Heat, Zion of the Pelicans, and Eric Pascal of the Warriors. Pascal? Pascal? I'm pretty sure. That shit? I'm pretty sure it's Pascal. Eric P. Let's go with that. All-Rookie Second Team, Tyler Hero, Terrence Davis, Kobe White, P.J. Washington, Rui Hachimura. The first team looks good to me. If you want me to kind of dig into it first, yeah. Um, the second team, you can't really argue with Harrow, especially with what he's doing in the playoffs. Just looking at the second team, man. I don't know if um, I can't speak to PJ Washington. I haven't seen much Charlotte, but Rui. If the if the thing is about Rui Hachimura, like, or if the thing against RJ is we were just on a really bad team, the Wizards were ass too, bro. I'm looking at like. Wasn't RJ just top five in all the categories as a rookie? Like points, rebounds, steals, assists? Was he not? Or he am was. I tripping? Um, I, know he, I don't know if he was leading it, but I think he was. No, no, but he was, he was in top, the top five yeah, in all yeah, those yeah, categories, yeah. right? Like not necessarily leading it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know about the name, same for Rui Hachimura. Like I've seen him play. He looks like a nice little rookie, but there's no way you can tell me he's like for sure should be on there instead of RJ. That's my take. Like I'm not going to get too heated about it because let's be honest. I think the two players that stand out, uh, when it comes to this conversation, is Rui Hachimura first and Terrence Davis, because mm. Terrence Davis's stat line wasn't that good. He was a lot more efficient on a much better team than great defender though. than RJ. Yeah, nice great great defender as well. So I think yeah, came out um, he came out the blue undrafted. I'll give him that. It's yeah. Kobe White though, another lotto pick on a bad team. He did play. He was playing well though. But the thing with Kobe White is that he started playing well the second half of the season. You know, yeah. and so did RJ, and right. I feel like RJ was more impressive just given the fact that he was playing with negative spacing. Save Jewel by Chicago, Levine could shoot, Laurie Markkinen when he's right, he can shoot, Otto Porter could shoot, excuse me. So I don't know, I mean, but I guess that's the NBK guys, I think Andy on NBK, shout out to NBK again, he said he made a good point that there might be just, uh, it's the burden of expectation, like RJ's third overall pick, Kobe's the seventh overall pick, you know what I mean? So it's just like if the numbers are similar, they're going to give it to Kobe, give him the nod because he's putting up similar numbers to a player that got picked higher, you know. So I guess I could see that. And I'm not going to get too burnt up over it just because we know what it is. We were whack. RJ's numbers or inefficiencies or efficiency was whack. I think it's fair to say that you and I weren't, like, losing sleep over it. I I yeah. was like, it's it's whatever. If it'll if it'll lead him to have a much stronger second season, shit, go for it. Snub the shit out of him because I think he's one of those type of players that will hold on to it as a grudge and let that push him to develop even more and come out as a much better shooter and just be more efficient. He had good numbers. He had a good stat Facts. line, just not the efficiency for it. So, yeah, it's it's gonna motivate him. It's like what Sim said too. Yeah. Um, on on his uh, next weekly, he's like, yeah, it's it's gonna motivate him. Uh, he likes his four RJ just because it's gonna motivate him, and I we both share that sentiment. Because to your point, like we're not losing sleep over this. I feel like we, you and I, don't lose sleep a lot of the shit that NBA, like Nick's Twitter, especially just like loses this shit over. Because good fucking god, man. If <laughs> like talking about chicken little, it's like you go on Twitter, it's like a fucking little chicken coop. Everybody's yeah. in there just like cuckooing shit, like just losing their fucking minds. Like 
over the littlest shit. And I get it, PTSD and all that, but come on now. Do you walk through regular life being a Debbie Downer like that? Cause yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> this will serve as motivation for RJ Bear. I think this is one of yeah. the best things that could have happened to him. If he got, if he was rewarded with the rookie, uh, uh, you know, all rookie team after such a garbage season that his team had, it could have it could have had the opposite effect. You don't reward for you don't reward players for being on bad teams and doing well on bad teams. You know, so let that serve as motivation for RJ. Let him come out and I I hope to see you know close to 20 point per game maybe five assists five rebounds maybe six rebounds with a much better you said close to 20 points per game yeah why not for next season second season what was he you're thinking that's too high or you wanted to be more i'm saying that's uh i was thinking 18 points would be on the high end so 20 points i mean i did i said said close to 20 so i meant like 18 19 Oh, okay, I see yeah. you. With you, with you with your little, you're like a politician with your language. You can just <laughs> <laughs> you say something like, "No, I met that too." <laughs> no, yeah, I feel you. Um, that's optimistic, but hey, shit, I I dig it. Like he he was at what 14 points per game. The e- efficiency wise, it's it's bad, but we we know what it, what what that's about. There's no spacing, so he's surrounded by shooting, and RJ is the only dude on the court usually where he's he's a bad shooter. That's going to be a good thing. To, to me, that's the situation that will tell me, that like, okay, he's about an average 20. You know what I mean? Because he'll, he'll be comfortable. He'll get downhill. He'll have space in the lane. He'll be able, it won't be claustrophobic all the goddamn time. Um, and hopefully he won't have to get pissed at, our, uh, at Julius Randle anymore. So that's the one reason why I'm off Julius Randle. I like them, but it's like if our young, young cornerstone don't fuck with them, then, hey, get the fuck out of here, bro. It's all right. Go. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like well, you got to favor the young child. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean if you're ready to put a put a pin in this episode, call it a call it a wrap. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We hope you guys enjoyed this Sunday edition of the Nickish show. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Sportscaster at Nickish show. Check out our affiliates NBK Nothing But Nick's network on all streaming platforms and video. They have dope Knicks Weekly videos every week hosted by Simeon Russell and the team that he's got over there. Um, check out our other partners, uh, Die Hard Knicks Podcast, um, and you know the rest of the people on, on the uh, Nothing But Knicks team. They got, they got a great group of guys over there that we're working with. Um, check out our, our Nickish Cup of Coffee episodes. It's morning episodes that we have. We started last week where they're quick episodes, unedited, un, unscripted. We just go over whatever happened the last couple of days prior, particularly with the NBA playoffs. And, yeah, follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and all that. And, you know, we hope you guys continue to enjoy our episodes and, you know, give us a comment, let us know, shoot us a DM on what you think. If there are any topics that you want us to talk about or discuss, we'll be happy to talk about it. And uh, we appreciate all the support. We appreciate all you guys listening in. And, um, yeah, keep keep checking us out. We got more episodes coming along the way. So uh, that's it for me. Anything you want to add? Stay safe out there. Fucking vote in November. Like, repeat the same message from last week. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, um, yeah, stay safe out there, y'all. Until next time. Peace. Peace.